Our scripture lesson this morning comes from Psalm 22, verses 1 through 21, part A. Hear now the word of the Lord. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me, from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our ancestors trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not human, scorned by others and despised by the people. All who see me mock at me. They make mouths at me and they shake their heads. Commit your cause to the Lord. Let him deliver. Let him rescue the one in whom he delights. Yet it was you who took me from the womb. You kept me safe on my mother's breast. On you I was cast from my birth. And since my mother bore me, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. Many bulls encircle me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a, like a raving and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaw. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs are all around me. A company of evildoers encircle me. My hands and feet have shriveled. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among themselves, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far away. O my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say... Thanks be to God. We, we're in an era of weariness. And perhaps you personally don't feel that way, but by and large, humanity as a whole is feeling that way. Weary, tired, exhausted. I mean, it is just, it was just exhausting to have to even consider going back to all of these uh, COVID-19 protocols that we had in place, which seems like forever ago. And to be able to, I mean, whenever I uh, was stringing up these reserve signs to do some uh, physical distancing, it was, it was actually painful to do that because I don't want to be here anymore in this space, not, not here, but in this, this era of weariness. It's just exhausting. And I'll tell you right now that I'm mad about it. I am. I have, uh, I have an amount of anger about where we are in this era of weariness, in this time of all the chaos that's going on. And I'm also heartbroken about it because it is truly devastating how awful it is to know how, how this virus is impacting our world, how many lives have been claimed by it so far, which by the way is pushing 650,000 lives in our nation alone, to know how it's impacting children, and also to see how it is drawing political divides in our community, which is just absurd. 
that's where we are, and it's heartbreaking. And I'll tell you right now that I'm exhausted. I have a, uh, a text thread with a bunch of other pastors in the area, and, and the past couple of weeks, that text thread has been almost exclusively memes about how difficult ministry is in the middle of a pandemic. Because it is, it's very complicated. Everywhere, all, churches all around us are, 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 are having to shut down their ministry activities and go to the bare minimum just so we can stay afloat, just so we can still be the church and also take care of one another. I, I have, you know, I'll tell you right now, I was, I was almost in a rage thinking about how we might have to cancel the now kickoff event, event because I want our church to be able to do ministry, but I also want to be able to take care of our people. And that's the great balance there. And so it's, it's exhausting. And so we, we look out on the world and see how much is driving into our weariness. And we see, well, let's just start with the obvious, COVID-19, which is not only ruining our plans, it is also taking lives all around us every day. And then we take another step in, in, in our own nation and see the politics of it all, and not just the politics of COVID-19, but just in general, how political divides have uh, been drawn more starkly. And, and it's not only causing excessive stress in our world, it is also causing deeper divisions than we can stand right now. And across the globe, we have all of these devastating events. Yesterday, our brothers and sisters in Haiti experienced a massive earthquake with hundreds of lives lost and several others injured and, and uh, damaged property after they've still been recovering from the, the devastating earthquake that happened to them 11 years ago and while there was a tropical storm hovering over them all the same. And we remember our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and the way that, that, uh, that turmoil is just engulfing that nation and how people over there are living in absolute terror because of all of the chaos that is going on. And then we look out west and we see the wildfires that continue to consume with the Dixie Fire being, the, I think, the second largest in, uh, in California history and the damage that it's doing. And then we just look at the consequences of our times and all that's going on with financial issues, housing challenges, job losses, issues in school systems, etc., etc., etc. And darn it if we aren't in the middle of hurricane season with multiple tropical storms coming our way. We are in an era of weariness. And we've been talking over the past couple of weeks about using the Psalms as a guide to prayer in this season. Because, as I said the past two weeks, the best thing that I think that we can do in an era of weariness is also the most cliche thing that I could ever suggest as a pastor. And that's prayer. I fully believe that we need a lot more prayer in our world, in our individual lives. But I do think that that prayer needs to look a little bit different than the prayers we are used to. And so we started the very first week of this series talking about using the Psalms as guides to prayer and how they function that way. And then last week we looked at Psalms of what uh, Walter Brueggemann, a theologian and Old Testament uh, scholar, calls Psalms of orientation. And then uh, we came to, we come to this week and we'll be talking about uh, the next step in all of that, which is disorientation. And the next week we'll look at reorientation and on from there. 
but considering the Psalms as our resource for getting through an era of weariness. And so, I want us to consider if we, as a people, really and truly know how to pray during a season of disorientation. Because that's kind of what we're in right now. We are in a season of disorientation. And, and to, to help conceptualize this word a little bit more, last week we talked about orientation. And orientation means having a direction, to be facing, right? To, to, to be oriented is to be facing in a direction. To be disoriented, can you guess what that word means? To lose that direction, to be lost with no direction. And we're kind of in that. This is brand new for us, right? A whole season of uh, uh, this, this pandemic season that we are in, this is new. I mean, unless you were alive during the, the era of swine flu and, and have vivid memories of that time, like this is, this is all new. And even if, you, if you, you were alive during that time and have these vivid memories of it, it's still different than then because our world has changed over the past hundred years. And then this era of disorientation, we find ourselves over and over again, time and time again, lost, confused. And what we see is that times of disorientation, like we are in now, lead us through, uh, through very similar experiences to that of grief. There's a, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who uh, came up with the five stages of grief. You might be familiar with these. Um, they are, a little bit of a disclaimer, they are not linear, they are not exclusive, they are uh, just simply a way to understand grief. And those five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I'll tell you right now, just, just with COVID-19, let's not even bother with everything else going on in our world, we have seen these things over and over again. Uh, the, the very denial that COVID-19 is even an, a, a reality is still actually present to this very day, uh, that, that COVID-19 even exists as a real virus. It's still denied. Uh, and we all experienced our own denials and wanting to push back against the, the very structures that were put into place to protect us against that, the things that were suggested uh, that we do in order to protect ourselves. We were in denial and pushed back against that. Anger was very real in the midst of disorientation because it's not normal. It's confusing. It's frustrating. If you've ever been lost in the woods before, you know how frustrating it can be to not know your way and how scary it can be. We look at bargaining and the things that people are willing to do to try to get out of all of this and depression and the way it embeds a sense of hopelessness and helplessness. And eventually we get to acceptance, and some have been there. Some of us have a long way to go to there. But this is true for all seasons of disorientation. Disorientation isn't exclusive to COVID-19. It happens all the time. And not just as a global experience, but even as individual and personal experiences through times of great loss, great suffering, 
we have disorientation. In families, in communities, you know, you can take this as big or as small as you would like. Disorientation is a real part of the human experience. Why? Because suffering is a real part of the human experience. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, people suffer. That's what it means to be human. Jesus even told his disciples, in this world you will suffer, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world, he continues on. But, it, but it's, this notion, it's going to happen. It does happen. We've all experienced it in some way, shape, or form in our lives. Suffering is a real part of the human condition. But we kind of do this, I'm going to call it an unnatural thing whenever it comes to suffering, when it comes to disorientation. We tend to push it away. We tend to keep it at arm's length and refuse it until it becomes so overwhelming that we just break down around it. Right? But the Psalms have a particular way of drawing us in and calling us to engage with disorientation. And, and in do, doing so with this, this powerful, powerful word called lament. It's a word that we don't get to use often enough in the life of the church, lament. Lament is a deep emotional word, visceral word, meaning you, you really experience lament through your whole body whenever, you, whenever we go through this process of lament. And it can be anything ranging from sadness to anger to confusion all around. But it's something that we have begun to neglect. But the Psalms have not. The Psalms understand that part of the human experience is suffering and that an appropriate response to suffering is lament. There are uh, multiple occasions whenever uh, in my own life I have had the opportunity to be in a space of lament. Uh, the first is whenever I was a chaplain at Grady Memorial Hospital in Atlanta, uh, Tier 1 trauma, trauma Center, so... There was a lot that goes on at Grady, right? And uh, I primarily worked in the uh, surgical intensive care unit as well as, uh, as well as in the emergency room. And you see a lot of really devastating things when you work in a tier one trauma hospital. Uh, and and as, the, as a chaplain in that space, one of the things that we do is we go and we sit with the families as they receive the worst news they'll ever receive in their lives. And I'll tell you what, people have very real, visceral, emotional reactions whenever they receive the most devastating news in their life. And you sit with them in that, and they begin asking the hard questions. How could a good God allow this to happen? This was my baby. This was my best friend. They were saints, and yet they had to suffer this way. And you sit with these people who are also good people, and you see the way that they are suffering because of the loss that they have just experienced. And we learned pretty quickly that the worst thing that you could ever do in a situation like that is tell them everything's going to be okay. Because that is a horrible thing to hear when you're in the midst of the deepest, darkest moment of your life. Or to hear something as awful as God needed another angel in heaven. Because I'll tell you what they'll say, 
Are you telling me that God stole my loved one from me because God is that selfish that God needed another angel in heaven? It's not something you want to say to somebody in their darkest moments. And so instead, what we learned to do was to sit and lament with them, to cry with them, to suffer with them, to be there in the pit with them. It's a devastating uh, place to be, and it's very difficult, but that's part of the human experience. And then, as, as many of you know, uh, earlier this year, February 28th of this year, I lost my mother. And it was very, it was unexpected. She was in the hospital. We didn't think it was nearly as bad as it ended up being. And it was a Sunday, uh, a Sunday afternoon. I'd gotten a call in the middle of church, but my phone was off and I called back and um, my mom was apparently in the intensive care unit and the doctor there said, she's not going to make it. Like she's not going to make it the next couple of hours. And so uh, they had us, you know, right there in, in Sunday afternoon after church, I'm already exhausted, and all of, this, all of this emotional heaviness has to just sit there as I'm, you know, six hours away. She's in Huntsville, Alabama, five, six hours away, depending on traffic. And, and to hear that she is about to die and that, that the way that she has been suffering up until that point and, and fortunately, uh, Kristen and I were able to get in the car and drive up there, and we made it to the hospital before uh, she did pass, and we had about an hour of time with her, but then it was that hour of time of actually sitting there watching her in the process of dying. And I'll tell you there, that, that there, the most devastating experience of my life. And what do you do? What do you do? in those kind of moments, in that kind of heaviness, in that kind of weightiness, because that's a real human experience. I'm sure many of you have experienced the same. If you know, everybody ends up experiencing that at some point in their lives. It's a real human experience. And so, acknowledging that, that that is a real human experience, that that is something that happens pretty routinely. Acknowledging that that's something that's been going on in our world in a devastating rate with this pandemic and with all of the violence and everything else that's going on in our world. I'll tell you the last thing that the church needs to do is to overlook that suffering and to call us to a place of joy. Because life isn't all joy. For some reason, in, in church worship, we really only see lament on two occasions. The first is funerals. And we do a fairly good job at being with people during funerals. The second is Maundy Thursday slash Good Friday, depending on if you do both services or just one. We have that, you know, that dark heaviness. There's, everybody leaves in a somber, quiet kind of experience. But other than those two occasions, we don't really do lament, even though the human experience of suffering happens across all days of life, different for each person and sometimes shared. And for some reason, the church has left those two places where they are and we just kind of 
let every part, every other part about worship in the life of the church be about joy and celebration and thanksgiving. And these are good things, and these are appropriate things for us to experience as human beings, joy and thanksgiving and celebration, but they are not the full spectrum of human experiences. There is also great suffering as human beings. And so the Psalms call us to question, what do you say to God when everything is terrible? When you're in the pit, when it's the worst moment of your life. We read as our scripture lesson today, Psalm 22, which is an excellent psalm of lament. And it starts out in a pretty peculiar way. You might be more familiar with it from Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Jesus is on the cross, hanging there, about to die in the last moments of his life. And there's been a bit more that he set up before this point, but all of it's been about other people, and he's been showing compassion to other people. And then at this point, just before the end of his life, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Coming directly from the very first verse of this Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me from words of my groaning? Because in the darkest moments of our lives, it's very difficult to understand if God is even there. And Jesus cries out this, this very same thing, something that we can relate with uh, in our own deepest, darkest moments. And so the Psalms help direct our grief, our denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance, what have you, through our moments of disorientation, as we speak to God, and the Psalms allow us to speak our true heart. And then we also have to wonder, what do we say to one another when everything is terrible? Like I said before, you can't just go up to somebody in their darkest moment and say, everything's going to be okay. Because nobody in their darkest moment believes that in that moment. It's very difficult to see the light in that moment. And so instead, we have other points in Scripture that remind us, Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together with it. Job 2, verse 11, after Job has just lost everything, and I mean everything, property and people, lost everything, even his own health, Job's three friends show up and just sit with him for a full week without talking, just sit for a full week. Even John 11, 33 and 35, Jesus hears that Lazarus, Lazarus has died, and he goes back, uh, goes to, to the tomb, and he sees Lazarus' sisters weeping. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. Even though he knows he's about to just drag Lazarus right out of that tomb, kicking and screaming if he has to, Jesus stops for a moment and weeps with them. Because that is what Scripture calls us to do in our human response in the midst of suffering to weep with those who weep, to be in the pit together. The church, which is the community of faith, is to hold the full spectrum of human experiences, not just joy. Why? Because human experiences is not just joy. Joy is not the only thing that we as human beings experience. And you know the emotions that you have experienced that are very contrary to joy. 
And to think that we should feel joy only in the presence of God is like saying that God is not capable of holding my negative experiences or my negative emotions. But uh, unfortunately, I don't think this is actually the reason that we refuse to lament in the church. We might have some kind of notion about that, but I, I think that the real reason we don't lament in church is because of shame. We get ashamed of our negative emotions. For some reasons, we, we are ashamed of these, these naturally occurring experiences that happen in the deepest, darkest moments of our lives. And we don't feel like we can connect with one another in the midst of that because we feel like we might be burdening those people. We might be dragging them down with us, even though Scripture calls us to be in the pit with one another. For some reason, we are told to repress our negative emotions. Men are told that it's wrong to cry, that men shouldn't cry. That's garbage. I'll just let you know that. Women are told that it's wrong to be overly emotional, and I have to put that in quotes because that's a horrible gender stereotype that should never be propagated anywhere. These things are false statements. We have been given the capacity to experience real human emotions by a loving and good creator. Why on earth would we reject that? For some reason, we are led to believe that our deepest negative emotions are wrong, but I'll tell you right now that God did not make a mistake when crafting these negative emotions, and God can handle your deepest negative emotions, whatever they might be. I want to draw our attention to Psalm 137, a fascinating um, scripture. And this is, the, this is the passage that I use whenever people say that, you know, you should just follow whatever the Bible says without question. You know, whenever people say, you have to obey every single thing in the Bible, I say, let's turn to Psalm 137, and would you read for me verse 9? I'll read it for you. Blessed are those who take your little ones... Oh, sorry, disclaimer, uh, cover the ears of your children or anybody soft at heart. Okay, I'll try this again. Blessed are those who take your little children and dash them against the rocks. Yes, that's scripture for you. The Bible is not much of a, a children's bedtime story. But, yeah, this is one of those points where, where I say, don't do that. Just because the Bible says it, don't do that. That's terrible. But Psalm 137 isn't an instructional part of Scripture. This is a true cry of the heart of a person of Israel. Listen to the fullness of this passage. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, and there we wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows, there we hung our harps, for there our captors asked us for songs, and our tormentors asked for mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How could we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither. Let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth if I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, against the Edomites, the day of Jerusalem's fall, how they said, tear it down, tear it down, down to its foundations. O daughter Babylon, you devastator. Happy shall they be who pay you back what you have done to us. Happy shall they be who take your little ones and dash them against the rock. This is a psalm of lament. And you hear the anger in it, right? 
because that's a real human emotion. This psalm was written after the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, after uh, the Israelites have been thrown into exile and they have lost everything. And what else? What, what do you expect somebody like in that situation to feel? Mourning? Sure. Depression? Sure. Anger? Absolutely. Confusion? Certainly. Because it's a disorienting event where a person gets lost and we have to wonder where on earth is God in the midst of all of this? How could God let something like this happen? And so in Psalms of disorientation, we see how we can learn to cry out to God with our deepest emotions. And that's going to be my challenge for us today. To call to God with your heart more than your mind. Too often we pray with our minds and not our hearts. We, we pray cognitively and not emotionally. And this is not inherently bad. I'll just go ahead and put that out there. That's not bad. But it does lead to all kinds of problems. For one, you have people who say, I'm scared to pray in public because what if I say the wrong thing? That's a prayer that comes from the mind. God doesn't care about the right or wrong thing that you say. God wants your heart. We have people who say, I should only come to God with thanksgiving because what do I have to complain about? That's a fair statement, but in all actuality, you might have something to complain about. You might have some deep suffering that you need to come, to God, come before God with. And our mind will prevent us from coming before God with our truest hearts, but our hearts seek to cry out to God. And we have people who say, when, when praying together, I should stay positive so others do not think that I am weak. This is garbage. We pray with our hearts because God cares so much more about our hearts than us doing the right thing or us looking impressive or whatever you want to throw in there. A prayer with the heart is more honest and meaningful than a prayer with the mind. And so... In our moments of disorientation, like the season that we are in now, I want to encourage us to cry out to God with our true hearts, to be willing to lament together, to behold with one another our deepest negative emotions, whatever that might look like, because that is a real part of the human experience. And our God understands that, and our God wants to be with us in the pit, and wants us to be with one another in the pit to love on one another, even when it seems like there is nothing good around us. So in our disorientation, let us cry out to God with our true hearts. In our disorientation, let us come before one another with our true hearts. In our disorientation, may we turn to the Psalms as a reminder that God and we can bear our deepest negative emotions. And let us pray. God, we call out to you during this time, recognizing the deepest suffering that we have present in our world. Suffering that some of us may scarcely be able to imagine and suffering that some of us may all be all too familiar with. We acknowledge that that is a real experience that we, as your children, are going through. And so we cry out to you in confusion, in anger, in frustration, in sorrow, in sadness, in mourning. And when we don't know what else to cry, we cry out to you. Remind us that you have given us your love and you have given us one another to be together through the darkest and hardest times. 
May we cry out to you forever from the depths of our hearts. And may we do so as we lift up these prayers to you, as well as those prayers which are unspoken and on our hearts burning deeply within us, as we pray together that prayer which you taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. And this time I want to invite you to stand as you are able or in spirit. And let us turn to number 454 in our hymnals as we sing with soft voices. Open my eyes that I may see. that I may see glimpses of truth thou hast for me place in my hands the wonderful key that shall unclasp and set me free silently now I wait for thee ready my God thy will to see open my eyes clear, and while the wave notes fall on my ear, everything false will disappear. Silently now I wait for thee, ready my God thy will to see, open my ears, illumine me. my mouth and let me bear gladly the warm truth everywhere open my heart and let me prepare love with thy children thus to share silently now i wait for thee ready my god thy will to see Open my heart, illumine me, Spirit Divine. Amen. Well, before we dismiss, I do want to give just a little push here. If you are a person who has experienced one of these deep disorienting events, or, hey, if you're just a human being, find a counselor. I'm serious. I don't know why there's like this taboo that existed around going to therapy. Do it. It's worth it. And I'm not just saying that because I'm a person in the mental health care industry. I'm saying it because I actually care about each and every one of you. It's worth it to have somebody that you can actually speak to, to decompress with, to work through disorienting events with. Uh, because, yeah, well, as, as great as the Psalms are for praying through these times, sometimes you need a little bit more.
I'm going to say all the time you need a little bit more. So see a therapist. I do it. It's worth it. Uh, now, with that being said, receive now this benediction. From wherever you may be or wherever you have to go, go in the midst of disorientation to cry out with your deepest heart, deepest emotions to the God who is present with you and hears all. And may the God of all goodness give you peace. In the name of God, our creator, redeemer, and sustainer. Amen. Go in peace. Mm -hmm.